everyone. Welcome to episode 60 of the Walking Closer podcast. This is part two of episode titled Sit in the Tension. And this is a conversation that began back in episode 59, talking about this tension that we might feel, specifically when it comes to talking about certain things like politics or religion. Uh, we're talking about that tension we feel when someone holds to a different belief or interpretation than we do. The moments when we begin to feel uncomfortable, right, and our defenses are alerted, and we take we take those beliefs, interpretations as threats. Um, we're talking about the tension we feel when the certainty we like to hold on to is challenged, when the, when the stories we tell ourselves are challenged, right? when when the things we believe or tr- that are when, when the things we believe are true are challenged. The tension that we feel, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about when we experience that tension and what we do with it. Right? When you typically feel this tension, you might be seeking ways to relieve it. Sometimes taking it out on other people. I mean, lashing out on the person that is challenging your certainties or, or beliefs. And sometimes we just try to ignore it altogether, right? We justify in our minds why we believe what we believe and hold to the positions we hold to. And I think oftentimes what we end up doing is uh, justifying our minds at the same time, belittling, looking down, viewing others as less than ourselves and just simply saying they're stupid. Uh, I think sometimes we just need to sit in the tension for a while and not just look for ways to relieve it. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's challenging. When we when we feel that pressure, yeah, we want to push back and, and put that pressure on other people. But the tension you're feeling says way more about you than it does the other person. Because the tension you're feeling is an indicator about yourself and can tell you something about yourself. And so if you would just sit in that tension for a little while and wrestle with what you're feeling... You might learn something about yourself and come out on the other end with a better perspective. And so when you feel that tension, don't see it as a threat, but rather a gut check. And in fact, if you do find yourself seeing someone else's beliefs or interpretations as a threat, remember that that's telling you something about yourself and that you're not as confident in what you think you might believe. And so what we started to do was walk through this section of Scripture, Matthew 9 and 10, where Jesus is preparing his disciples for some of the things that they potentially are going to experience as this mission unfolds, as they go about doing the very thing that Jesus himself was doing. And so he's preparing them, helping them understand how to navigate this tension, okay? And the reality is that this tension is inevitable. And so as we go through this, the goal is to see yourself in their shoes and to, and to, to relate to some of the tension that they themselves might experience. Uh, but understanding the fact that the tension is not necessarily something that you always run away from, but it is something that you could learn from. But there is also an appropriate way to respond to this tension. And so it just has a quick review so we can get to where we left off. Remember some of the things that we noted about some of the tension that they might experience. Maybe some things that you didn't realize would be 
would be sources of tension for them. Like, for instance, the tension behind a message that talks about a kingdom coming, the concept of the kingdom, the concept of a kingdom coming. There was lots of tension that could be wrapped up into that. Uh, The idea of a kingdom meant the idea of war and oppression. Somebody is about to reorder things to best suit them and how they want things done, how they want the world to function. And you might just simply be caught up in the middle of it. And so depending upon who you were, depending on how you felt, about your position in life and your situation with your kinsmen in life, you might either be for it or you might either be against it. You might be receptive to this message or you might just completely reject it as a whole. But the message itself was tense, was filled with potential tension and controversy. It was subversive in nature. Then we also talked about the possible tension that the disciples themselves would feel as Jesus would send them out, this internal resistance, as I call it, that they would experience, which is why Jesus says in Matthew 9, when he calls his disciples to him, verse 37, 38, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send. The word send there is a strong word. It means to expel something, to drive something out, to, to cause something, someone to do something that they aren't necessarily comfortable with. Maybe, maybe there's some resistance there. Right? And it also represents this urgent need, and it's no coincidence that Jesus says this right before he explains to them what they're about to do. We also looked at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 6 when Jesus says, listen, I am sending you to the lost sheep of Israel. And, you know, among—and that seems fine, right? These are their countrymen. They should know them. But among them would be the religious leaders, would be the Pharisees, and they would have to contend with, with them. Uh, then, then they were supposed to go forth and do this without, without any extra provisions. They were to go on this mission and expect to be taken care of. And we talk about trust. We talk about the tension that's there when we are we set ourselves up to not be in control of things. Yeah, you feel that tension when you just want to trust. That's a difficult thing to do. So there's tension there. Then there might be the chance that people will not be receptive to you. This is and this is how you handle that tension, Jesus says. And Jesus doesn't hide the fact that they're they're going into hostile territory, right? He says, Listen, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. But he, he's preparing them to handle this tension, showing them how to maneuver the terrain to get in and get out without any unnecessary provocation and but also without sacrificing their integrity. Then there's this tension that continues to rise as he talks about them being handed over to courts and being flogged and being dragged before those in power, both Jew and Gentile. He warns them that not only will they be treated the same way they will witness him being treated, um, but... Tensions are going to get even heavier because Jesus brings the family into the equation. He brings the household into the conversation. Now, that may may be something that we might typically overlook, but listen, the things that Jesus says here, we strike a chord. I mean, this might be the final straw. It's just... So if you're standing there listening to Jesus say these things and 
you, know, you feel that tension and you wrestle with some of the things and in your mind, you're able to overcome some of the challenges that are keep you from you know, taking that first step, right? Or you, you begin to think about how you might maneuver your way through this stuff and you think, okay, okay, th- th- this, that, that won't be fun, but you know, we can make it through that. But then all of a sudden, you bring just the final straw, right? The last thing, the ultimate thing that might cause you to turn away, that cause you to say, I cannot do this. And that for the Jew would be family. Family ties are everything. Your family name is your life. It's the very fabric of your existence. You're born into it. Your life expectations, who you were going to be, was predetermined before you were even born. It's all tied into your name. And you live in in an honor-shame society. And by going against family values, by going against this path that has been laid before you by doing anything that made it made others made it look like you were turning your back on your family what that did was bring shame upon your name upon your family's name when your responsibility your goal was to keep the honor that was already ascribed and if possible add more to it so family ties were everything but now here's the problem Jesus says, associating with me might cause problems with your natural family. (laughs) Associating with Jesus might bring strife and division in your household. Why? Because your household might see you as disloyal. Might look upon you because you're following me. Might look upon you as someone who is rejecting what the family values are. And in doing so, threatening its honor. And if you do this, your family will take steps to censor you or to try to restore its honor if it thinks it's been lost. It's everything. Honor was everything. Now, there are lots of reasons, and not getting into all the the background and the culture and why this might be the case. It's a fascinating study. Maybe I'll do a podcast on this to help you better understand because there are a lot of things that I think that we can relate to when it comes to understanding the, the, the unit, the family unit, how the families function, the honor and shame and so forth. There are a lot of those things that are still within our culture. They're just, they're just unsaid. Um, and I think when we hear things about honor killings, we see some, we get windows right into some of this we're appalled, and it's, it seems very foreign to us. And so, yeah, there's some extreme things, but there are some things that I think we can relate to when it comes to this. I'll give you a good example here. Why would your family, if you were a Jew, why would your family all of a sudden turn their uh, you turn their back on you because they think you've turned your back on them? Why would they, they think you brought shame upon their name? Well, as a Jew, you were a Jew. You were not to associate with you know, on certain levels with anyone else, right, other than Jews. Now, when you look at the church and you look at how the church began to form and shape and spread and grow, Gentiles were brought in. Yeah, Gentiles. Okay. Yeah, but all of a sudden you're eating and you're drinking with Gentiles. Oh, and by the way, you have learned that all things that God has made— or clean. Yeah, you can eat everything. And so you show up to the house smelling like bacon. Hmm. What does that say? What does that tell your family? What would that tell your father, your mother, right? What would they think? 
Yeah, that you've turned your back on the law of Moses. You've turned your back on your Jewish heritage, on your Jewish ways, and you've forsaken it, and you've run after this idolatrous stuff. Now, that's how they might perceive it. And you may not be able to convince them otherwise. Yeah, you bring strife and division in your household, and your family will do what it takes to restore its honor if they feel like it's been lost. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, he says things like this, for I have come to set a man against his father and daughter against his, her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I'm going to stop right there and explain a few things here. I mean, this, this, this really, really makes the case puts the emphasis on the fact that loyalty to family was like a sacred duty to them. You know, Old Testament scriptures were filled with, with scriptures with demonstrating the importance of obedience to parents, to fathers specifically as the language is used. And, this, and in fact, among those scriptures, you have verses that address the use of discipline to bring uh, about a right relationship between children and their fathers and causing division in the family was a serious thing. And that discipline could include you losing your inheritance, you being banned from your family ultimately. And to the Jew, the only one considered worthy of higher honor or love more than your father would be God. And so they would have to be convinced, right, that this following Jesus stuff was from God. And from this perspective, then, Jesus says, your family may be the primary source of persecution. And so whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You know, he's used this word worthy. A few different times as Matthew's put this, Matthew 10, 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I don't actually like the word worthy here. And maybe because of how I typically would define the term worthy or how I see us use it in our modern day English the word worthy, the Greek word here, it has to do with a weight. It's a sense of a, a weighing something out. And so there's something being pitted against something else, right? And is there a balance here? Is it appropriate? Is what's being weighed up against it fitting? Is it comparable? Is it suitable? Okay. And so the picture here is simply this. Uh, does it weigh the same? Are you doing, are you responding the way that I would? Right? If you're following Jesus, now I want you to remember this. Jesus as a rabbi chose his disciples, and he had confidence in choosing them and demonstrated that confidence. They knew this. They, they would have known that this man has confidence in us, even if they didn't have confidence in themselves. He had confidence that they one day would be able to do the very same thing that he was doing. Right, And so what they were doing would be comparable to Jesus, who he is, fitting as a disciple, right? Appropriate, as one would expect. And in this instance, taking up the cross would be 
their willingness to endure the tension, those reactions, right? The be, being willing to carry what family might see as shame. And in doing so, they would emerge as a different person. But in order for this to happen, he says, you're going to have to sit in this tension for a while. Which is, again, why he says in verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it, right? This emerging as a different person. You might say, if you want to find your life, then lose it. But if you want to lose your life, then try and save it. Um, I like the way, there's lots of ways we explain this away, but I like the way the message actually puts this. It says, if your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. And I, I like this because it reminds me of the thing, the emotion that Jesus addressed, the, the idea of fear, right? That might be stirred up because of the tension, because of what you you are going you going to experience at the hands of other people. You know, really, what's what's behind all of this? And that's going to challenge. It's going to challenge things you believe about yourself. It's going to challenge uh, things that you, the story you tell yourself about who you are, right? And about what, what you, you can do and uh, your beliefs about yourself, right? There's the tension. Remember, there there's the tension. It's going to challenge all of those things. And oftentimes, um, the beliefs that we have, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves, uh, the image that we try to portray to the world is what we might call the false self, right? It is the mask. It is, it is the shell. It is the thing that we put forth to hide behind, to protect ourselves. It is the image we like to portray to the world of who we are, but the reality is we're tucked in somewhere inside of all of that. And when they go through this tension, that's going to challenge those things. This is a message for the apostles to look deep within themselves because this tension can be a beneficial thing and help them break the shell, shed the false self, if you will. And this message is for us today as well. Right? It, it speaks to what we do with the tension that we feel. And we have to look deep within ourselves when we, when we feel threatened by the way somebody else explains something, by the way that somebody you know, interprets things, by what other people might believe or profess that they believe. When we feel threatened by that, that's the tension that we need to sit in and look deep within ourselves because that's an indicator, and that, that's an indicator that some sense of the false self is being attacked. Something is being addressed here, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing, but we have to look deep within ourselves in order to, might you say, uncomfortably sit in the tension and do the hard work of wrestling, wrestling with the why, why you feel this way. Why are you experiencing this? Why, when this person says they are a Democrat, why, why do I feel that tension? Why do I feel threatened? Why do I begin to feel inferior, uh, furious and, or angry? 
Or if that person says they're a Republican, or why, oh, you voted for Donald Trump. How could you? How could you do this as an evangelical Christian? And, and, and feel, feel, why do you, you know, if you start feeling threatened um, by that stance, what does that say about you? What is that telling you? If, if you're standing across from someone who believes one way or the other, who holds to one version of the faith or the other, or you know, just whatever, whatever those things are, <laughs> that we, we find ourselves in the moment having to deal with this tension. And it doesn't matter what it has to do with. Now, it's easy for me to talk about biblical matters. Because, well, that's that's where I'm at. That's the field in which I work. Uh, but it applies across the board in so many ways. And I just, I guess I'm just, I'm, I'm just tired of not being able to have civil, helpful, fruitful conversations with people. We send, it's, it's almost like as if we can't have conversations with people. We can't talk with people who believe different from us, who think differently from us, who talk about things differently from us, we lose the opportunity to grow. Like, why does everything have to come off as a threat? Why are we so angry? Why are we, why are we so hateful? You know, and I see it across the board. It doesn't matter if it's Christian or non-Christian. And I tell you, if we're not careful, it sure does seem more and more and more that the uh, Christians, Christians do not... We, we are not presenting ourselves as people who love one another. It's a sad day when atheists seem to demonstrate more compassion and mercy and love than we do. Now, it's not a matter of necessarily right or wrong positions. Sure, there are some positions that are right, and there are some positions that are wrong. There are some things that I believe are right, some things that I believe are wrong. I'm not negating any sense of objective truth. Well, what I am talking about is how we respond, how we respond to people who don't think like us, who don't see the world like we do. Like, how we respond to that. We can't handle that. We, we don't know what to do with that, it seems like, anymore. And it's painting, man, a really, really bad bad picture. It's a very toxic, toxic thing to be in. Now, I have to be very careful about the things that I talk about by some people or in front of some people because it's just not worth, it's just not worth what's going to come out of it. And until I can have a civil conversation and be confident knowing that, hey, we can walk away disagreeing and you're not going to make that an issue. Until that happens, it's hard to feel comfortable. It's hard to feel comfortable in talking with people about certain things. And when I think that certain topics are going to get into place of me, my ability to demonstrate that I love people, I just, I just don't go there. I don't go there. And so we need to all look deep within ourselves in order to uncomfortably sit in this tension and do the hard work of wrestling with the why. Wrestle with the why. Take it as a gut check. Why do I feel this way? Why am I responding this way? What is it about me that this is telling me? Why do I feel? Why do I feel this way? 
So the tension is inevitable. But what we do with it, okay, that's important. And use it as a tool, as a resource, as an opportunity. And the second thing, I think this might help, help you when it comes to, and it helps me when it comes to this tension. There are a lot of factors behind why we believe what we believe, see what we see, and have the perspective that we have. Lots and lots and lots of factors, right? There are lots of people, lots of circumstances, lots of situations that have led us to where we are this day. And they're so numerous, it would be impossible, I believe, to list them all. Things that we're not even aware of. That helped guide us to where we are. It helped form us, whether good or bad, to into the person that we are today. And when you realize that we're all on a journey, and where you find yourself at any given point on the journey, that's your reality. There, and there is no reason for any of us to feel threatened by another's perspective necessarily. There, there's no reason we should feel empowered to lash out, to verbally abuse or act in any way that is that's unloving with someone with someone who, who doesn't see things the way we do. Listen, we, we all need to get it in our heads that we haven't arrived, right? You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. None of us have arrived to any other place than where we currently are on our, on our path. And that's not the end. We don't know it all. We don't understand it all. And there are always more perspectives and more things to see and understand. And if we would just humble ourselves, we would feel less threatened and see more opportunity for growth, more opportunity to love, more opportunity to walk alongside others. Remembering that there are lots of factors behind why others believe what they believe see what they see, have the perspective they have. See, they they are on a journey too. And where they find themselves at any given point on the journey, that's their reality. We don't want them to be threatened by our perspectives. We don't want them to lash out to verbally abuse or act in any way that isn't loving towards us because we don't see things the way they do. So why would we do anything other than take them, receive them, meet them where they are? There, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of steps on a path that leads to particular points and when you cross paths with someone or something that causes you to feel the tension, seize the moment to sit in that tension. And you may actually learn something. You may actually learn something about yourself and about other people. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to agree with them. It doesn't mean that you will necessarily change your position. Ah, but what you might change is your perspective of that person and others like them. And what you might see is that they're not any different than who you are. You may learn something. In fact, I think sitting in the tension can help you learn how to love. When you see the worth and the value in other people. And you understand that there are lots of factors involved as to why any person is 
where they are at any given point. And you have this precious sacred moment to cross paths with them, whether it's frequently or whether it's a once in a lifetime chance. If we just sit in the tension that we might feel, I think, I think we'll learn how to love. And, and I know this from experience. I mean, I've spent years wrestling with the tensions that I've felt in these circumstances, at, at times just pushing back, right, trying to, to release the pressure that I was feeling. I, I felt the tension from always feeling like I had to have the right answers because if I didn't, I would be reprimanded by you know, other Christians. And, and so I carried around those right answers confidently until those answers were challenged and, and I felt threatened because— I could be wrong, and what what would that mean to the people I was trying to stay a part of? Right, I, I felt the tension of having to put it all together all the time, the tension that comes with having to put up a front and that not voice any doubts. Right, that tension that comes with not having a safe space to talk about those doubts or to question things without people getting aggressive or treating me like I was inferior. I felt the tension that comes from knowing someone doesn't like you or thinks you're too, quote-unquote, liberal, right, for the church, and and they don't want you around, and then you have to face them, right, and the tension that comes with wondering what they're saying, you know, wondering what that look was like, wondering what's going on with them, or wondering when you get that, that email, right, <laughs> like, what, what am I going to have to deal with now? I felt that tension. I've felt that tension. I've experienced that tension. And in every case, every case, there was something that I could learn about myself. And I'm not saying that I learned it immediately. I'm not saying that I learned it even in those moments. And sometimes it's just when I look back that I see what happened, that I can learn something from it. But the tension told me something about myself and about the story that I was telling myself about who I am, the story in which I lived. And regardless, if, if I caused the tension or if the tension was forced upon me, I had a choice in how to respond to the tension. You know, I could react and explode with aggression and intimidation, either, either even if it just stayed in my mind, you know, or literally in the phrases and that I use, the terminology I use, uh, just, you know, how I spoke, my body language, or... I could respond to the tension by just sitting in it, wrestling with it, and, and learning what it was saying about who I was and the story that I was telling myself. And I have to say, listen, I felt over and over and over again, don't, don't listen to this thinking that, oh, I've got it figured out and I'm perfect. With No, no, I'm not. I'm not even close. And however, I, I can say that I learned to sit in the tension a little better um, over time by ascribing value and worth to other people, right? When we, when we ascribe value and worth to others, we're, we're loving them. And when we do that, we have, you know, the potential to temper our reactions, right? Uh, it's the potential to keep us from jumping to conclusions. And, you know, and the, 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 the tension um, I'm, I felt uh, in those moments, well, that was all a part of my journey. And, 
You know, it's just simply a step that would take me to the next place. And even in those moments, if I'm not sure or aware of what, is, what this is all saying about me, I can temper and be careful. I can love, right? I can control um, how I respond. Um, and that actually would keep things from getting worse. And then it will allow me, afford me more time to sit in that tension. And I have to say that, you know, when you respond accordingly, um, intentionally with love, while the tension is still there and it's uncomfortable, it makes it a little less uncomfortable because at least you didn't make it worse on yourself. And just remembering that the tension that you feel, it's, it's a part of your journey and it's a step that's going to take you to the next place. And sure, it's uncomfortable at times. And man, I, I, don't, I don't always respond the way that I wish I would. Um, it does. It exposes my insecurities at times, my weaknesses. It's, it's challenging, but, but I also know it could be rewarding. So, yeah, remember these two things. Sometimes tension is inevitable, right? Man, especially in, with Christians and the church and politics, these hot-button things. The tension's going to be there. Different perspectives are going to be there. There's going to be disagreements, right? But man, how you respond to that is... It's important. It's important. And never respond in such a way that it devalues someone else, where it sacrifices their worth, right? To always, when you respond and there are other people involved in the situation, ascribe the value and the worth uh, to them that, that it's inherited. I mean, it, it, it's just maybe inherited is not the right word. It, it, it's in their DNA. It is. It just is. Uh, regardless of what you think or what you say, it's another life, another human being made in the image of God um, who, who is seen as being worthy and valued by God, just like you. And so irregardless of the circumstance, the subject, the disagreement, never respond in such a way that it devalues someone else. It just never respond at the expense of love. But then the other thing is, is everyone has their own perspective, just as you do. There are lots of reasons why you see what you see. Believe what, believe what you believe. You know, just as they do, have lots of reasons why they see what they see and believe what they believe. And it's not a threat, but it's an opportunity. It's, a, it's an opportunity to grow and to gain fresh perspective, regardless if you agree or disagree with them. And it will help you, it will help you disagree well without sacrificing love. So yeah, sit in detention. <laughs>